You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. Uh, We're excited to say that we're coming up on our 50th interview, our 50th episode. So thanks to all of you who are listeners uh, and, and to those of you who have been on the show uh, and to all of those who have reached out. It's, it's nice uh, when some of you guys reach out and, and tell, you, tell us that you've enjoyed the show, that you've learned from it. It's rewarding for us uh, and for the time that we spent in trying to put these interviews together and, and get in contact with these millionaires. So thanks again for listening. If you'd like to be on the show as either a guest interview or a millionaire interview, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, millionairesunveiled.com. Per usual, if you'd like to invest in some multifamily opportunities, uh, we've got a couple deals coming up here soon uh, in the multifamily space in both the the Northeast region and the Southwest region is where we typically do our deals. So if you'd like more information on that, please feel free to reach out. Uh, Historically, IRRs have been in the 20s. Uh, if you have any questions for any of our millionaire interviews, feel free to reach out. A couple of you have. We try to incorporate that in some of the interviews. We're trying to to branch out and kind of change up these interviews so they don't become monotonous, become the same over and over. We continue to work on other things with the show, including audio quality. And so thanks again for listening. Let's get into the introduction for today's episode. So on today's episode, we have the Dividend Diplomats. And these are two guys in their mid-20s that, that talk about dividend stock investing and getting passive income from dividend stocks. And so we talk to them a lot about why dividend stock investing, why dividend stock investing versus real estate, versus small business, versus putting everything in index, passive index, or actively managed mutual funds. We talk to them exactly about how much money they're earning from their dividend stock investing. They also share some insight about where to start. And they talk about dividend aristocrats, S&P 500 companies that have increased their dividend payouts for about 25 years in a row. And these include big companies, 3M, Coca-Cola, Exxon, Johnson & Johnson. And so they really share some unique insight into this guest interview about why dividend stock investing. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with them. Welcome to Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. Today on the show, we've got the Dividend Diplomats. Do you all just want to give us a little bit about your background and uh, what you're doing now? Sure. Yeah, of course. This is uh, this is Lanny, one of, as I, I you said it pretty much uh, spot on, one of the Dividend Diplomats here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm actually a current CPA working at a public accounting firm, um, but the true passion and blood that fills this body right now is dividend investing and trying to save and to do as much as possible. But, you know, currently in the, on the nine to five, quote unquote, or what we like to call, you know, the seven to six in public accounting is uh, I'm, a, I'm an external auditor and I've been so for seven years. Yeah. And I am Bert here. And as if any of you are reading our blog, I'm the one that Lanny often reminds me that I am the one that is much shorter than he is. I am 28 years old. I am newer to the dividend investing game than he is. He's been at it a few years longer than I have. Similarly, I am also in in public accounting, auditor, same, working with landing basically my whole career here. And I have been there for six years now. So much like him, my passion is for early retiring, getting out of the grind and just let's now get the dividends invested. 
Good stuff. So we're going to get into a little bit into your portfolios that you uh, put on your websites and stuff. But why why dividend stock investing versus other investing, maybe mutual funds or index funds, real estate, small business? Why have y'all chosen to do dividends? No, of course. I mean, it's it's a valid question, especially mm-hmm. with all the different methods of of investing that's out there. And you know, for me, it was it just made sense. You know. And if you really start to take a look at the articles we write, we have, you know, one great article is the top five foundation stocks. And for me, it was, what are these massive companies that are out here that have these top brands that everybody use every single day? You, you use it, your family members use it, your friends use it, you know, maybe people in the workplace are using some of these products. And, you know, who, you know, what companies, you know, own these brands and, you know, what are the, what are their, uh, you know, financial metrics look like? And then come to find out that there's, you know, these dividend aristocrats, which for those that don't know is, you know, 25 plus consecutive years of increasing your dividend, not just paying, but increasing their dividend. And I thought to myself, okay, investing into these companies probably makes the most sense um, because you have a lot of brand loyalty. You've got, you know, global recognition as well as you have a very solid, consistent dividend. So you're gonna get some form of payback on that investment for being a shareholder. And then there's this fun topic called dividend reinvestment. And it's almost like clockwork. And that's part of why I chose it is, you can turn that option on if you're lucky with your brokerage and upon the payment of that dividend, you can reinvest it back into that same company that paid to buy more shares essentially. So it's almost as if it's something that works, you know, throughout the year, nonstop for you. So no matter what, that dividend income produced from that company is going to be growing, um, you know, by those two methods, dividend increases and dividend reinvestment. Yeah. And to, um, to add what Lanny said, I mean, I, when I initially started investing, I was not a dividend investor. As I mentioned, I was newer to the dividend investing game and Lanny's obviously one of the people that sold me on this investing strategy. But when I was in college and when I first graduated college, I I did not invest in dividend stocks. I would invest in stocks that, yeah, I read all of the market research reports. I read all of the, the hot buy articles. I'm not talking penny stocks by any stretch of the means, but your companies that were set to break out in their earnings, your, some of your mid cap type companies, of course, they didn't pay a dividend. So each day I'd be living or dying by the appreciation. I could say, hey, I have this $1,000 investment. It's worth $2,500. One bad earnings report later, guess what? I'm back to the, back to even or even in a loss position. And after having a lot of long conversations with Lanny, and trust me, there were a ton of them, it just it, it started to click in my mind that, yeah, if I set, change my mindset from those short-term gains, those short, the short-term appreciation, and then focusing it to how can I get income now in some of these great companies and just have that long-term mindset where I know the investments I'm making are quality and that they should appreciate over time along with my income stream. It, it again, just made a lot of sense, as Lanny said. Yeah. I hate to ask the one question, but I always ask people, can you take that to the net worth store? And you know, with dividend income, you can actually, you know, use and live off of dividend income. So to me, it was just another source, um, a source of income that you can actually use for what you currently want to do with your life. And as yeah, Bert mentioned, there's there's not a lot to do when you're on some seven hour round trip car rides going to your external audit clients. So Bert had the fun fun <laughs> <creepy> <laughs> <me>. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I want to go back to these dividend aristocrats. So there's 53 stocks or companies that fall into this bucket. And, and like you said, each of them has increased its annual dividend for at least 25 years. And a lot of these, if people aren't familiar, are you know very well-known companies, household names, Aflac, AT&T, Chevron, Clorox, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, uh, McCormick, just kind of scrolling through the list here, S&P, Sherwin-Williams, Target. And then going back to your article, this top five foundation dividend stocks for a portfolio, how did you guys kind of narrow down to those five and, and maybe what are those five stocks and why? No, of course. Yeah, I would say that's actually probably one of the more yeah legacy articles that we had when we first started writing, really trying to get that information out there for the community. And when you actually look at those five stocks, you know, you you kind of you look at them and go, wow. I think everybody uses something here. You know, let's say AT and T for instance. You know, most people use internet. I know we're on internet right now. Um, and you know, chances are you probably should, or how fun would it be to own a company that, oh yeah, that you actually are using every single day and companies are using every single day to, to, to put people in connection with, yeah, with more people. I mean, the internet and obviously then you have cable and mobile phone. So it was just, that one was just a, most people use something in this nature um, for what industry that they're in. Um, so that's kind of the first initial approach, you know, when you go down the list, um, for, for the companies that are on that, you know, uh, McDonald's, mm-hmm. um, I believe is one of the top five foundation stocks and, you know, who hasn't had, you know, something off that dollar menu or a, the happy meal when you were growing up. Um, so it, it just really started with, let, let's figure out these brands, um, that everybody, uh, loves and has used in the past, as well as, you know, then there were certain financial metrics obviously involved. We wanted something that, okay, the S&P 500 typically yields over around two, two and a quarter. So we were like, we should probably establish some sort of baseline for your portfolio as a foundation. So we, we stuck with two and a half percent as our first like initial screener. Um, and then really started looking at uh, the aristocrats that came out of that. Um, and then just associated it with, yeah, the brands that people know and then the products that everybody uses. Yeah. Cause I mean, if we, if we're going to say that these are foundation stocks or any dividend investor, we wanted to make sure that, yeah, these companies have made it through countless economic cycles. They're, they've increased their dividends through the good times and the bad. And I think that's what our, our list achieved. These are companies that, have proven the test of time and shown that they're going to continuously increase your dividends. So in our opinion, if we wanted to point investors of where to go, we couldn't think of a better place to start. So just to summarize, those those five stocks are McDonald's, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, Consolidated, Consolidated Edison, Con Ed, and AT&T are the top five you guys recommend. So just backing up your big picture, how much can someone expect to receive from a dividend from some of these companies and how often are dividends paid? Yeah, so... The div- I mean, in terms of the the foundation stocks on there, the dividends can yield anywhere, are typically in the, the 3% on the lower end for some of them. And then you'll have AT&T, which is closer to 6%. And those are typically paid on a quarterly basis. But I guess to broaden it from a dividend aristocrat standpoint, I mean, they have, there are dividend aristocrats that have yields of all different shapes and sizes. Some of them are your lower yielding high dividend growth rates around the 1%. Some of them are, your, I think your AT&T's got to be one of the highest of the, the dividend aristocrats. So 
it it depends on how you how what kind of stocks you want and what industries you want to position. But yeah, I'd say most of them pay quarterly. You'll find a few dividend stocks in general that'll pay on a monthly basis. One of our favorites, Realty Income, which is on the doorstep of becoming a dividend aristocrat. But for the most part, generally, it'll be a quarterly dividend check. And, you know, I think you asked the question, yeah, how much can you actually receive, you know, from, you know, from these uh, entities? And, you know, you can use the simple equation of, you know, what $1,000 investment would be at a 4% yield. Uh, But then when you actually crank the numbers on what those average dividend growth rates are, um, you can really see what your yield on cost will be after, you know, 10 years, let's say, which it's obviously much higher than your 4%. That is one of your favorite metrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my, my darn spreadsheet of yeah. 20 tabs, yeah. <laughs> so before we jump into the numbers here, what percentage of your guys' portfolios is, is invested in, in dividend growth stocks? No, I think that's... You know, great question, and we appreciate it. And you know, anybody who's on our website can go to the. Uh, I think we have a portfolio you know, tab at the top for for our page for our portfolio. So it's you know pretty much full disclosure out there. Um, and you know, you're pretty limited from a workplace standpoint. So we do have, you know, your your 401k that goes into S and P 500 mutual fund, which is pretty much the most boring investment, but it works. And uh, it, simply because you don't have the option for the individual stocks. Um, but, you know, my portfolio is, you know, we'll call it roughly around $330,000 uh, at the moment. And I would say out of that three hundred thirty, dollars um, just doing some quick, uh, quick number crunching um, on that, you know, roughly around $215,000 uh, of that three thirty dollars is invested in the dividend stocks. Um, or, you know, 65%, uh, give or take a little bit, is invested in dividend stocks for me. Um, yeah. Bert? And then similarly, um, yeah, it's about, I would say my portfolio is sitting around 208000 right now, um, 210000 to round it up in about one hundred twenty-five to 130000 given the day are in the individual stocks. And basically, as Lanny said, I anything outside of my 401k, is getting invested in individual dividend growth stocks. So yeah, after crunching the numbers quickly, that's about 60% of my portfolio. So you guys both also have 401ks and IRAs and HSAs, but mm-hmm. in each of those, you probably, I mean, how many holdings here? I'm just kind of scrolling through your holdings. Probably about, what, 30 different stocks maybe? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I know in my, uh, and I break out my account by, if it's my taxable account, my retirement account or my HSA, so when you actually you know, look at it, I have 44 stock holdings in my individual taxable account, followed by you know, roughly 10 additional uh, individual stocks in the retirement accounts, not including the, the funds. Yeah, and I have about 41 individual holdings wow. from, from what it looks like. Yeah, Catch holy cow. Yeah. Come on now, Bert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what are your guys' goals here, your financial goals? You have a tab there that talks about each of your goals. What are those? To have $100 million. No, yeah. joking, joking, <laughs> joking. Um, you know, the overall goal mm-hmm. is to be able to use dividend investing as the, the catalyst for, you know, financial independence, retire early, that fire that everybody always is, you know, is talking about. Um, so that's always the, you know, the, the, I guess it's the short-term goal, long-term goal. Um, But we always do have short-term goals along the way where, 
Um, you know, every year we try to, you know, set targets and milestones, which, um, you know, that's what's fun also about being mm -hmm. a dividend investor is that you have milestones that you get to celebrate along the way, yeah. whether it's hitting your your first 5,000 in forward income or 10,000. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the long term strategy here is to, you know, be financial, financially independent, um, be a means of the dividend investing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's why we're focusing on building this strong, this strong dividend in dividend income stream that's that's set to grow on a consecutive basis with your your everyday boring dividend aristocrats because we want to one day be able to use and rely on this income that'll allow us to just kind of pursue what we want to and pursue our passion spend as much time with family and maximize and just do the stuff we love and want to do so that's that's the goal the end goal of getting there and, and obviously we don't i at least i don't mean i know bert would feel the same is that it's not just, yeah, oh, yeah, we have dividend income. Now let's put our feet up. It's, oh yeah, mm -hmm. we have, we have this fallback of dividend income um, that we can then use our time. I think really pursuing more of what we're passionate about, which is more than likely more and more writing, more and more time on the diplomats. And yeah, hopefully I can hang it up on the, uh, on the public accounting at some point. <laughs> Because Lord knows that my hair will only stay mm. on my head for so long. Yeah. And, and I can't take too many more seven-hour car rides with Lanny. My hair's already gone. That's why I had to quit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh. oh, man. Britt, you shouldn't have wrote that down. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so so what has y'all's savings rate been as you've been building this dividend portfolio? Yeah. No, that's uh, that's a great question. And actually, you know... I th gosh, that had to be also one of our very first articles as well. Is, you know, why I'm aiming to have at oh least gosh. a sixty percent savings. Rate. Yeah, and then the, from that grew the uh, dividend diplomats sixty percent savings challenge. That, yeah, that just never took off. Yeah, let's just say that we challenged yeah, was, each other. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, it was that, and you know, I'll, I'll still say that it's been. It was just too soon. It was just too soon. The community <laughs> couldn't handle it. Um, no, joking, joking. Yeah, but. To be honest, the current savings rate that I've had um, over the last, gosh, at least two plus years, I've been, I've been at the over seventy to between seventy to eighty percent healthy savings rate, um, which I know a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know, don't have the fortune to to somehow get to that, um, but I've been able to you know, I guess do two things, you know, try to try to find ways to increase your income. And then also I'm a, I'm a, you know, if AT&T was on, on this call or on the, on the podcast right now, they'd say, Oh, I don't like this Berlin J or this Lanny guy. Um, because yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a true Italian when it comes to trying to keep my expenses low. So. <laughs> yeah. And for me on just to, to be completely honest, I'm not a, I, after I kind of, rode the 60% savings rate challenge into the sunset. I actually haven't kept a detailed savings rate percentage. I'm not quite the the number cruncher that Lanny is over here in terms of that. But I mean, I've just always had a consistent like a savings mindset. And if I had to kind of ballpark of where I'm at, I'm not in the, the crazy 70 to 80% range that Lanny is, but I'd probably estimate 50 to 60%, maybe even some months up to 70%, depending on what's going on. But I mean, to me, what was important and what I really enjoyed about this, our 60% savings challenge. And even just having these discussions with Lanny was just getting into that mindset of 
just saving in general, just being as frugal as you can and just making sure that I was moving in the right direction with my savings account. Because if every decision I made was focused on just making the right choice financially that was frugally sound and with my savings rate and investment portfolio in mind, I knew that I was heading in the right direction. So I'm, I'm comfortable not having the final one, but I could tell you it's probably somewhere between that 50 to 70. And for a disclaimer, my water is turned on and I do turn on the lights. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he does not live in my house. <laughs> yeah, I don't live, I, I'm not living in, you know, no, never mind. I'm, I'm not going to go down that route. Yeah. <laughs> no couches on the street. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I do have, yeah, shelter over the head, you know, yeah. clothes on my back. Everything is good from yeah. that standpoint. <laughs> so, Bert, how, how has your wife been? about this whole process of getting a, a dividend portfolio and what were the conversation like? I'm assuming that you had started this portfolio before you met her. I love that. I love actually, the question, by the way. Yeah, actually, her. so I started this after I met my wife. My wife and I had been dating for 10 years before. We met in high school. Oh, wow. And yeah, we, we dated through college. We actually went to different colleges. So we, we did then survive the long distance travel and we both moved back into town after the fact. It was high, I thought you guys dated since preschool. Yeah, <laughs> it feels, no, I'm kidding. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, she's definitely on board with the dividend investing portfolio and, and being frugal. I mean, sometimes we'll have, uh, we'll have some arguments. I think she made the quote to me last week. One of my last articles was purchasing Pepsi. And I told her I made the amount and she looked at me and said, you yelled at me the other day for buying a $5 candle, but you just bought $4,000 worth of Pepsi. So, I mean, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's some give and, give and take that we need to have with this and it's, it's finding the right balance. And overall, she's, she's fine with it and she's, she's excited about the prospects of it. And I'm sorry when you listen to this pod. <laughs> Don't yeah, kill me. I'm, I'm looking forward to Bert's next article that says, for every one candle that is bought, $4,000 of Pepsi yeah. is purchased. So do you guys have, do you have income goals, whether that's a net worth goal or maybe a, you know, a dividend growth goal or any sort of financial metric goals for the future? No, I think, yeah, again, love the question. And, you know, net worth is, I do track my net worth and, I know Bert does as well, mm -hmm. but I, we don't really like publicize the net worth just, you know, for one reason that I can't use that. I mean, most of it is in my individual, you know, stock portfolio, but um, it kind of goes back to the savings rate question mm -hmm. is, you know, once I found out, you know, where that happy little spot was with my, what my expenses are, which is, you know, anywhere between you know, sixteen, seventeen hundred to two thousand dollars per month. You know, you you kind of know, okay, how much do I need to mm -hmm. to not change what I'm currently doing? And so to to pretty much boil it down, if I you know twenty four thousand dollars of dividend income um, would cover what I currently am doing. So that's you know at least my mindset right now is to get to around that number. So let's talk about. Starting off here, just jumping around here. So if I want to start in, in dividend stock investing, we kind of talked about those five core funds that you guys recommend, but maybe talk to me a little bit about dividend stock screening. How do I go about picking something? What am I really looking for? And, and really how and where do I start? Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously we we like to start our list of, um, we had on, on our website, one of the things we do have is we've created our basic stock screener. And that's what the intent of is to help us find undervalued dividend growth stocks. Cause 
Um, we're obviously we like to try and get some sort of a value in with our purchases. So we don't just want to buy a dividend stock that's trading in an extremely high multiple just to say that we purchased a dividend stock. So that's all baked into our screener. So if you want to break down our three screens, and this is just the simple, we'll break it into further metrics. Our first one is we typically look for a PE ratio that's less than the S&P 500. And from that, our in our mind is that, hey, this stock is trading at a multiple lower than the market. And to us, that that indicates a discount. And there are obviously some industries that go that'll typically trade lower at lower than the market as well. I can think of insurance as one where all the insurance companies have a PE ratio that's lower than the broader market, but that's just our starting point. Then we'll, if we decide we want to pursue a stock, then we'll start comparing it to companies in the industry to see if it's at a value compared to other companies. And then um, then the other, yeah, the second metric that we'll typically focus on then is the payout ratio. And we typically set a, a threshold around 60%. So for people that are beginning with dividend investing, what the payout ratio is, is that your dividends that are paid per share to your earnings per share. So that's basically showing how much of, is a company paying out of their earnings. So we pick 60% because 60% is a, it's obviously more than more than half, it's greater than 50%. But to us, that's a, it's a healthy ratio where the company can continue to grow their, their payout ratio going forward. They can, I mean, they can grow their dividend going forward without hitting that 100% because obviously it's not sustainable in the long term if a company can continues to pay a dividend that's greater than their earnings per share. At some point, something is going to have to give in that equation. The company is going to have to grow their earnings or they're going to have to cut their dividend. So 60% to us is a nice threshold where it's not too high, but the company can still continue to grow their dividend going forward. Then obviously the third metric metric is we look for a long-term dividend growth history. Obviously, we've talked about dividend aristocrats a lot on here, but we don't look exclusively for dividend aristocrats. There are only 53 of them after all. So we like to see companies that have paid and increased their dividend for an extended period of time. Sometimes that could be five years, 15 years, 20 years. Well, we, we really dive in to see what's management's intent to grow their dividend. How are they committed committed to this process of increasing their dividend and what have they demonstrated over the last few years. And part of that other metric too is we'll also look at their dividend growth rate to our, um, yeah, what percent have they been increasing their dividend? Have the last last average year has been about 1%, 2%, 5%, 10%. We'll consider all those factors when establish it when reviewing their dividend history and their ability to increase their dividend. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a good, good filtering process. And the, the overall goal here is if you, uh, if you find a consistently increasing company that more than likely, you know, you have a higher likelihood that they'll repeat past uh, patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's always fun when we write about our dividend stock analysis articles and our watch list articles for the month. Um, but the really, I think the really fun part about it is, is you end up you know, finding companies that you may not even have, you know, heard of or come across as well during this filtering process. Um, and ultimately, you know, there's when you when you do go into an investment that has a the history and everything, but it may have a slightly lower yield, then you want to make sure that there's the dividend growth rate metric uh, to kind of uh, support that low dividend yield. Um, so if you're in that, you know, half of a percent up to 2%, then you better hope that that you know, dividend growth rates somewhere at least above eight or 9%. Cause I always like to see a, 
if I can. I, I, I don't always hit the metric um, on all my investments, but uh, I call it like the, t the dividend compound factor, which is yield plus growth rate. And, you know, if, if they have a 3% yield, then I'm hoping that they have a 7% growth rate. Um, or if they have a 6 7% yield, then I hope that they have a, you know, 3 or 4% growth rate. Sure. So I just want to I just want to look at your guys' dividend income here. So Bert, you started in 2014, and your total dividend income was about 2,300, and then mm -hmm. last year 2017 was up to 5,700. So about a thousand a year increase. And then Lanny started tracking it in uh, 2011 at 423 dollars, and in 2017 he was up to about 9,000. So. Wow. Yeah. A lot of our a lot of the uh, interviews that we've done have, have a lot of them have been solely in real estate and and thinking you know we can cash flow our lifestyle from real estate from rental income how come you guys haven't gone that direction or why do you pick dividends over real estate or is that maybe something you want to pivot to or, or kind of share both fields what's your thoughts on that oh, of course um i think yeah rental real estate if you have the system down if you've you know had that experience of you know doing it right it could be a very good source of income and a very good source of, uh, you know, wealth accumulation because of the leverage that you have, um, as, as well as the ability to have, you know, other parties in place to where it doesn't demand as much time, as well as uh, really you're able to protect your, your investments. So yeah, I, I, I do see a lot of the benefits with rental, uh, you know, rental investing or real estate investing. Um, have I considered in the past? Of course. I think when I was uh, this young guy starting out in my investing uh, life, I was like, okay, I'm going to have this going and I'm going to do rental property investing. Um, and then, you know, the more I actually, I, cause I did at one point evaluate it about uh, six or so years ago with one of uh, another former colleague of mine. And it honestly I ended up just being a, a little too much for me to take on uh, being in public accounting, as well as, you know, just so many, obviously there are unknowns with dividend investing, investing in individual stocks, but there, to me, there just seemed to be a little bit more of the unknowns as well with, uh, with real estate. It wasn't really my expertise, whereas, you know, I was fortunate to study a lot within the finance realm and then also went pretty deep into just reading my own uh, literature for I would say a consecutive years on, on the topic. And it just, it makes more mm -hmm. sense to me. And it just, to be honest, I, there's a lot of big companies that I don't have to monitor on a daily basis and I could go to sleep at night. So there's this kind of worry free, um, that, you know, is not hanging over my head. And, you know, the coolest thing is like right now with the, you know, there's been some positives from the tax cuts jobs act and, when most of my companies now are increasing their dividend, you know, more than they've ever have before, you know, sometimes I go, wow, I don't know if I would be able to place on my tenants an increase of 10 or 15% uh, every year. Um, whereas, you know, some of these, you know, dividend stocks are doing that. So what mistakes have you guys made or, or what advice would you give to somebody who's starting in dividend stock investing or maybe somebody that, you know, they've done it for a couple of years? What advice do you give and, and what mistakes have you made? Yeah. Well, I, first, I just want to say we. I have definitely made my mistakes, and I'm sure Bert he'll chime in with his oh, mistakes. Oh, sure. And I got a you, great example yeah, for this yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> fun of me about yeah. about this one at least once a month. Yeah, and I, 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 <laughs> I and I'm I'm pretty sure when I drive in my car, there's a certain 
um, oil uh, gas pipeline company that I'll mutter some words and, mm. and yell out the initials at them yeah. because of some dividend cuts because I've I've made some pretty bad mistakes. Yeah, and in fact, we took a picture of us in front of, in front of this said oil place and put it on our <laughs> blog. So it's on the right side of our blog for anyone that wants to see it. However, they came back. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'll call it a comeback. Yeah, yeah. But um, I've, I've made mistakes. I have, and that's what a part of our articles are mm -hmm. about is, hey, read this because you will make sure you don't do what we just did. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, there were uh, literally don't, one of the mistakes I made was buying a stock because their company's direction was purely we are here. We all we want to do is increase our dividend, mm -hmm. and they had a you know, very you know high yield, and because of that was their goal. They did have the track record mm -hmm. of the growth. They had the growth rate. You know, it was hitting the metrics. And then, you know, you probably don't want to have ownership of a company who, hey, what do you guys do? Well, we just do enough to make sure we can cover all these, <laughs> you know, the dividend payments, and um, that's you know probably not the investment that I would make today. And I sadly didn't make that investment in the past mm -hmm. and uh, faced a dividend cut uh, mm -hmm. a few years ago. Yeah. And if, if I had to generalize my piece of advice, and it's right in line with Lanny's, I could don't think I could repeat this enough to a new dividend investor of don't chase the yield. Talk to us about don't, that REIT, Bert. Yeah. <laughs> don't chase, um, don't get caught chasing dividend yield, because for every reason that Lanny just talked about, there's probably a reason why there's a, a higher dividend yield. And to me, this, the story was, um, I mentioned earlier about Realty Income. They're the great monthly dividend paying company that's increased their dividend for what, is it 24 years now? It's getting up it, Yeah, it's in the 20s. Um, they, had a, they have a nice yield that's typically in the 4 to 5% range. It's great. They're diversified REIT, one of my favorite holdings. There was a time about four years ago where I had the chance to invest at them at a pretty low price. However, I did not make that investment choice. Instead, I picked the new gunslinging um, REIT. It was, I think it was, was it ARCP? Yeah. Is the ticker. Um, and it was this quickly growing, rapidly growing REIT, much like Realty Income where they were diversified and it looked great on paper, but their yield was 2% higher. They had a lower dividend, a higher, I mean, a higher dividend to FFO ratio and everything was pointing that this dividend was not sustainable and that you just kept asking yourself, how is this company growing their earnings? What are they doing to grow their earnings? And in hindsight, I can say, what the heck was I thinking? But at the time I'm like, oh sweet, realty income is at four and a half percent. This very similar company, the lot shorter dividend history has an even higher yield. So let me do this. So I, I love these dividends for about a, a month. Uh, now you get a year and a half. It was the best. And then all of a sudden, I believe they came out that there was an accounting scandal <laughs> that, that they they weren't reporting their FFO correctly. And then things just, the company ended up changing its name. I think it's a new REIT now. And it's, yeah, it's very, REIT. they're paying a dividend. It's not that the company wasn't, it, it wasn't, it's not that it's not fine now or something, but if I look for, if you want to be a long-term dividend growth investor, just if you're looking at building that reliable stream, focus on the dividend history, you look for companies that have demonstrated your ability to, to um, grow pick, earnings. Yeah, grow earnings and grow their dividend going forward. Nothing against somebody that wants to go for that type of investment journey. I just learned for myself and my future dividend investing career, that's not for me. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. So in our last five or so millionaire interviews, we've kind of done some rapid fire questions. And cool. so I just oh. want to finish out the interview with you guys. So 
uh, with these questions, about eight questions or 10 questions or so. So most expensive jeans you guys have ever purchased? For me, it is $38. Oh man, I'd probably, I'll, I'll, I'll say 45 is probably up there. Back in my young high school days. And those jeans were heavily discounted and at an outlet store. <laughs> <laughs> hey, m- most expensive shoes. Oh, my, I'd probably say 99 $120, and I wish I still had the receipt to take that back. Yeah, and I wore mine at my wedding, so it, it, it was worth it. It was worth it for something, yeah. Most expensive car? Oh, I have a beautiful black Camry that was 21500 at the time I purchased it. $16,483. There you go, to the penny. Yeah. Most expensive meal that you've paid for? Oh, Ooh. Oh man! Uh, for me, it was one hundred thirty-one dollars, and it was two people. <laughs> and let me think: how expensive can you get a dinner off the dollar menu? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Art, mine was probably probably I'd say in that same range as Landy. I'd say probably about one hundred twenty-five, one hundred fifty dollars. Not okay. counting my wedding, that was a little more expensive of a meal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what item or items are worth spending more money on for you guys? Oh, experiences hands down. If mm-hmm. you're, you know, if it's a once in a lifetime thing to go see, um, you know, if LeBron James is coming mm-hmm. in my neighborhood, if it costs me, you know, three hundred fifty dollars yeah. to go up and give him a hug and say, hey, you know, you're from Mac and you're not even supposed to be here yeah. right now, I would, I would pay that. See, I would say experiences, mm-hmm. you know, that you cannot, you know, really put a, really put that price tag on. Yeah, I spent $300 for two tickets to game seven of the World Series in 2016. And that was probably the most incredible night of my life, even though the Indians lost. It was still one of the most exciting games. And I could not have thought of a better place I'd rather be than in that stadium. The rain delay, the rain delay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, don't get me started on that. (laughs) And then on the reverse side of that, what's not worth the money to you guys? I would honestly... I'm trying to think, because if you ask me the question of what's the most expensive pair of jeans or shoes, stuff like that, getting like one nice pair of jeans or shoes is worth it to me if you're going to be using it all the time. But I'll have random things like like certain foods that I just don't find value in. I'll have like random decorations like for our house that I just don't see that there's a lot of money in, a lot of value in. It's just stuff that to me doesn't it's add stuff. up. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. 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 Stuff. You know, yeah. The Nick... You know, the, the knickknacks and all that. It's just, you know, I know that usually somebody likes them and needs them in the house, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's, yeah, stuff. Anything mm-hmm. that you're spending money on stuff that doesn't add value to yours or someone's life, probably, yeah, is wasteful. Mm-hmm. And to me, I would also even say that I, I love that it's in the car debate, too. Of I'm not a big, I don't, when it comes to spending money, and I'm not a big luxury car person. I'll spend the right amount of money to get a good quality car that'll last a while, but it's not worth spending the extra money to me for a nice luxury vehicle. Sure. And if you had to predict now, what's your predicted retirement age and net worth at retirement? Oh, all right. I'm going to, you know, try to stick to, to what, to what path I've currently have been trying to embark on, trying to make it rapid. Dang it. Uh, 35 years old net worth will be somewhere around 700,000. Bert. Yeah, I'd say what the want would be in a very similar time frame, the 35 and the probably slightly less than Lanny, but in the six to $700,000 range. Awesome. Well, Dividend Diplomats, Bert and Lanny, thank you guys for coming on the show today.
And yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, uh, this is a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.